Hello and welcome to this week's Statsman Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knutson. How goes it, Ted? We're here. We're doing things. We're here on a podcast. Um, yeah, what should we talk about this week? I mean, you do a podcast every week and you've, you've got to be creative with topics. Luckily, luckily, things are going on in the world of football as ever. Uh, <laughs> this is a lie. <laughs> like we, we have football. Like we don't have to be creative at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the Raheem Sterling thing because I think that'll be covered uh, pretty extensively everywhere else um i think just quickly i think it, it good on him for coming out and saying what he did and highlighting the issue and it's long overdue that these kind of issues were uh, tackled and hopefully solved and yeah that's pretty much my view on it uh, we've discussed it here previously so i i think that this is fine and obviously you know we're big fans of raheem um, so there was football this weekend. Uh, should we start with the Premier League as usual? Yeah, why not? Chelsea City, the big game. Um, and Chelsea got the win, which kind of took them out of crisis mode, I think. Because, uh, yeah, had, had, they, uh, had they succumbed at some point during the first half to basically City having all of the ball and penning them back in their half, then I think City would have probably won that match. Um, that, first half, that first half felt like City were dominant. It felt like they <laughs> yeah. they were going to go on to win this, and then the Conte goal just changes the complete the whole complexion of the the tie. And you know, goals change games. It sounds a bit silly, <laughs> but it does. No, uh, it, it really did in this case. Um, yeah, it was. Inter- I, felt, I felt like City weren't the same team in the second half, and they didn't didn't didn't. They still played well, but they, it was like they with the urgency of having to having to score. Uh, it, it felt like they didn't quite get it together. And I was a bit perplexed by Lee Sane coming off because I think he's he's still possibly the most dangerous guy that City have got just to kind of conjure something out of nothing. But yeah, it's, uh, it keeps keeps it interesting. He's red hard for Liverpool dreaming uh, again. To to reiterate that point, it's not just that City were dominant in the first half. It's that Chelsea didn't have a shot before Conte had a goal like that that was the point at which Chelsea's first shot occurred second half felt much more even but you know the city were were doing their thing keeping them penned in um we we think that 55 percent of the time if that game is replayed like city probably win that's kind of how the the probabilistic model looks at it uh or it's a draw like Chelsea don't come out of that with a win that often but you know nevertheless it was it was a good big tie and 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 you I think commented on it uh this week like the the round robin of teams beating other teams and and how do you really kind of understand what's happening there uh but that's only true for the top six or even like the top five really when (laughs) the rest of the league like can't beat any of them yeah, yeah, and it has been that ca- the case a little bit. I mean, th- that little kind of like mini league of of, of the top five at the moment. Uh, Chelsea and City have both got uh, like two wins, a draw, and a loss. Um, I think the point. I think Liverpool have played. If Liverpool played three of their four of those matches away from home, and City have played all of them. So you know, they're, they're, if you look at them in isolation, it might not look as though Liverpool and City are. Uh, particularly dominant within that sphere uh, compared to their league positions, but they've been doing this away from home and not uh, not being disgraced at all. Yeah, so, not a loss yet. So there was a, a good graphic on on Sky, I think, last night for Monday Night Football, basically saying you know, Liverpool are among the most 
dominant teams that have ever started the the Premier League right now, mm. and, and City are also among them. And if you look at teams with this point total at, after this many matches, <laughs> usually they're like ten points clear on average. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And right now, uh, you know, Liverpool are one point clear, but they're still only six points clear of of Tottenham and only eight points clear of Chelsea. Like for whatever reason, and and we've we've kind of commented. You had a big piece on it in your roundup on Monday. These teams haven't been that dominant, but they are putting up results. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like the City's numbers look oh, still look great. Uh, Liverpool's numbers look very good. Chelsea's numbers look solid. Tottenham's and Arsenal's don't. Tottenham's and Arsenal's look mediocre. It's, it's really quite odd. Um, yet they've been picking up results like nobody's business. And I think the the point I tried to get across there in that thing I wrote yesterday was was that yeah, sure you get one team, one of these big teams might have a down year but still get results. United did it last season, forever. but to get two of them like. Not just getting decent results, but getting very good results, despite uh, the metrics not really supporting them at all. Like you know, quite a quite a way behind what you might expect. Top well, four and, contending and Spurs, metrics. Like, Spurs home away slant is also significant there. Like you mm. know, you, basically, if you're a home team, you're going to get about 0.4 of a goal, depending on on what home it is, etc. Um, in terms of home field advantage, and, and Spurs are like what 10-6 is the yeah yeah. The slant yeah. from from home away, if you count Wembley as home, which last year you know it was, they did quite well. Yeah, so they did. A, they, they yeah, they weren't you know significantly different from any any other season part beyond the one before, which they had in last season. White Hart Lane they had an amazing uh, season there, but yeah, sorry. Well, no, it's. I'm just saying, if they were struggling, they would have plenty of good excuses. But they they not only haven't struggled, they're excelling, and it's almost like why. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a topic to. I've, I mean, <laughs> I wrote an article for the Ringer in there on Tottenham, and it was literally the week after they beat Chelsea, and it, it was like, right, that's Tottenham, that's Tottenham. They hammered them, uh, you know, and outshot them wildly, uh, scored scored goals for fun. That's the Tottenham we know from previous seasons. And then the last week, uh, you know, they've got trucked by Arsenal, and then come out literally kind of eked their way past Southampton and Leicester both by both by kind of controlling the play but not really creating much well, that, then, that Leicester game was like if you look at it from an expected goal standpoint it was awful yeah yeah <laughs> Leicester the, shoot from range Tottenham had like a couple of decent chances and that was it and and obviously they ended up with the goals and, and they ended up with the goals without Kane and without Ericsson until late so yeah it was, it, it's still it's still an odd one I mean if their schedule lightens up um, considerably uh, going forward, uh, Tottenham's. So if if they are going to kind of like improve their metrics to something like what we're more used to, um, then this is a good opportunity to do that. But yeah, it's, it's just bizarre. I feel like I have to be clear on this. So we've been talking on this podcast that we don't think that there's going to be a title race, and we don't think it not because like you know this is my opinion. Like this is the analysis of the numbers that say that City's numbers are so dominant that you know it suggests that there won't be and um, but i i would prefer it to be otherwise like as on a personal perspective i don't want to see city run away with the league i don't want to see anything like that i like the fact that like they're that you know it, it's close at the moment and closer christmas time is great um but if we get to the two-thirds point which <clears throat> you know let's say the end of february so february 31st if we get to february 31st and um february 31st ted I was going to let that slide, James. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> if we get, we get to, to February, February 31st, 31st then, then we really are in an alternate exactly. timeline. <laughs> if we get to February 31st and, and it's and it's closer than six points, so five points or better, um, you know, so which is like a, a seven-point swing from right now, 
so basically, if City are are less than six points ahead as of the end of February, I will make a hundred pound contribution, and I'll let the guys at the Anfield Wrap uh, choose what charity that that I'm going to contribute to. But as I say, like I am interested in this being a title race. It's just that we have never really seen this type of disparity in the metrics uh without like a team just racing ahead so if liverpool continue to grind out results amazing um you know if 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 this doesn't happen then it's a free roll like i'm not i'm not paying the the bet unless it occurs but i'm gonna put my money where my mouth is and and there you go so 100 pounds to a liverpool charity chosen by the anfield rap guys in liverpool um if Liverpool are five points or less back at the end of February. Oh, there we are. There's, that is an interesting little one there. I mean, I think uh, this is it. Yeah, you can see, Can we really envisage a scenario where we, we, we are, as you say, like 28 games in or 26, 27, 28 games in, and two teams have won like 24 or 25 games? It, it, it just... It just doesn't. You can't imagine that happening. I mean, again, like I say, one team being dominant and uh, continuing to crush things. Surely Liverpool, Liverpool have got to drop some points somewhere along the line. I mean, their their goalkeeping um, has been very good, and it's also like extremely ahead of any kind of expectation, however you want to measure it. Um, so no, no, you've got a great stat on this. Which what the, the the save percentage? The one. save percentage exactly. Yeah, so we don't I, use save percentage that much, but James still likes some of the old metrics because oh, we've got longer history. No, yeah, and they're, and they're useful to to kind of like round out stories and that. You know, ten years from now, when we've got like full expected goals for a decade and more and whatever it is, it'll be like yeah, brilliant. We'll just use that. But in the in the interim, yeah, I think there is eighty six percent like save percentage and. I, I, I cited this for Tottenham the other week and then they kind of reverted immediately by shipping four goals against Arsenal um, I think the season long re- uh, kind of record of this decade is about 80% and that's that was De Gea and Man United last season so yeah this this is great you know these can really help power a bid towards uh, charge up the table but you know a full 6% on top of um, you know any other team it feels like it's going to move at some point because that's just a huge margin. Um, but at the same time, it's having a, a you know saving a lot of shots is a key ingredient to a title bid. And Liverpool have solid metrics; they're getting a nice positive skew uh, uh, in defence. Certainly, their defence is very good. Also, um, City. I mean, City have got a positive skew. Uh, I think at both both ends of, of the pitch. If you look at expected goals or shots or whatever it is, so well, and, and we would generally say that there is a skill element in that. That hmm. you know, elite players will positive skew anyway. Uh, Ederson's had a much better season in terms of shot stopping this year than he did last year. I don't know, like what's changed that much. It might be something interesting to look at in the future. But I noticed that in the goalkeeper stuff uh, this week. So you know, for those of you who who are not aware, I put out a piece this morning. Uh, introducing goalkeeper radars. We finally did that release over the the weekend. The goalkeeper stuff is is mostly done for now. We'll have some more stuff that comes on, I think, in the next six months. But we've released like the the initial structure of all of our goalkeeper analytics framework. Uh, so for those people that are customers, they get access to it. We'll do some stuff in social media as well. Uh, it's really exciting, and it's a uh, it was like a huge amount of work. And <clears throat> this new topic has been quite difficult for us. 
Um, before we, we move on to some Champions League stuff, because I don't think we need to tuck into the Premier League too much this week, but uh, I did want to flag up that Bournemouth, who currently have 23 points, have also lost five of their last six games. So you got a chance here on, uh, on still getting relegated. <laughs> I think they're good, they're good to stay up. But yeah, this is, this is another kind of simple simple kind of reversion to um, to type, really, because Bournemouth, pretty much most seasons, they, they normally get one, maybe two results against the big big teams, but the rest of the time they get annihilated by them, and their, their schedule basically bit. So the, the, the good Bournemouth team from, you know, six weeks ago, um, they'd done what they're really quite good at doing, which is wrapping up some points against their rivals. Yeah, and then so their they're, schedule they're like bit. old Arsenal. They're good at, like, Pumping the the bad teams and then bad at doing anything against the good teams. Mm. That's I mean yeah, if you, if you <laughs> Bournemouth and now Arsenal Wenger late era Arsenal Wenger Arsenal that that's really, that would be really good if true. I mean <laughs> what more could they aim for? But yeah, they, I mean they've they've now got a kind of flat record minus one goal difference, seven wins, seven defeats. Uh, that's fine. That's mid table. That's 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 good for a club of Bournemouth size with their resources and um, you know, but. At the same time, it just shows that you don't doesn't pay to get too excited about your Bournemouths and your Watfords and what have you. Uh, I do recall earlier in the season a couple of, <laughs> a couple of articles uh, being written about the places like are they are Watford the new Leicester this kind of thing and it's like yeah well yeah, yeah that didn't happen. <laughs> It didn't quite happen. Uh, now, to be fair, like we've got our own terrible predictions out there. If you make predictions yeah, yeah. about a league, you're going to have a lot of bad ones. Hopefully, you have some good ones. Uh, but yeah, anyway. So moving on, you had some Champions League chat. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think it's just it's just interesting to me that um, the, the Champions League is coming towards the end of the group stage as per, as per usual, and it's just I don't want to call it a closed shop, but it kind of is a closed shop, really, isn't it? I mean, we've got. So far, this is got... James. He's taking away the majesty of competition. Everybody, <laughs> don't blame me. I'm over here got... being a neutral. All the little teams can win. That's that's me. Hey, I work for little teams. So we've got yeah, we've got. Um, was it? I think ten of ten of twelve teams qualified already from the, from the uh, big leagues, basically the big five: three Spain, three Germany, two England, two Italy, and then you've got Ajax and Porto that have got through. Shakhtar could get through if they beat Leon tonight, and that Shakhtar. would and that would be it, and that would be um, three out of. Uh, Three out of sixteen teams in the in you know last sixteen would be from outside the big leagues, and I thought, well, let's have a look at this. You know how how frequent is this this kind of thing? And basically, last season, four teams, two teams, four teams, three teams, three teams, four teams, eleven, twelve, five teams that weren't you know big big five uh, got got through. Um, so this this whole decade is it's actually you know the, the, the talk about the Champions League and you know. Uh, it being difficult for smaller nations to actually progress. Pretty much Porto and Sha- Shakhtar, surprised me actually, they repeatedly got through. Porto, Shakhtar, Zenit a few years back, with the, the teams that can consistently got out of out Shakhtar of basically groups. The, the biggest under-the-radar club that people don't respect. And part of this, they have massive home field uh, out in, in Ukraine. But also, like, they've just had, like, tons of... Uh, they've got a great Brazilian pipeline, uh, Ukrainian pipeline, uh, as you might know. Uh, to, they go play in the, in the very, very cold. Uh, they also had, like, a, quite a, a good manager for a long time. Um, so, yeah, they, they're, like, the, the under-the-radar ones. Uh, is it, Roma, given their season, is might be one of the bigger big-team surprises. Roma and actually Manchester United both. 
um, you know, really quite struggling more so than you expect in recent seasons uh, in their leagues, but they managed to, to clean through their, their groups. Um, you know, Valencia struggling even more than Manchester United, I guess, in Spain. So like that, that's, that's the benefit of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's the tight group, right? Like, there's a couple one. Leon, Shakhtar, Manchester City group, like, you know, City are, are done, but uh, Hoffenheim also. So, like, that one was, was quite a quite a difficult group. Uh, the Bayern, Ajax, Benfica one. Benfica, for once, didn't perform very well, and then they had a Greek team there. And then, like, the the churn. So, the, it, in, our, in our numbers for the Champions League, the worst team of the lot is Red Star Belgrade or Cervena Zvezda. Um, and yeah. part of that's because they faced Napoli, PSG, and, and Liverpool. Yeah, that's. I mean, they, they got they got some they got some good good games for the fans, and and they beat Liverpool, didn't they? But you know, it's uh, yeah, that I'm, that that's going to look really rough if if like they were the sort of the the, the pushovers in that group, and and Liverpool just if they don't go through because of that result, like that's going to be that's going to feel bad. Uh, PSV also only have one point, but their group is also monumentally hard, and they're giving up twenty five shots a game, which is. Yeah, <laughs> huge. I was look. I mean, I was looking at this as a whole. I mean, but you don't don't necessarily look at the Champions League as a whole. But it, it was interesting to me. Only five games. You could easily get a funny little skew here, there, or everywhere. And basically, all the teams that are qualified have got, uh, apart from, <laughs> of course, Man United, um, have got a, a positive expected goals difference to go alongside their positive goal differences. Um, and yeah, all the, all the teams in qualification positions, and pretty much the only team that. Are Liverpool in qualification positions? I mean, they've got six points, which kind of ranks them 18th of, of you know, with 16 positions to go. They, they, they're the one team that you look at and be like, right, okay, if they went out, they'd have they'd go out with a positive ex- expected goal difference, probably. Um, and that's not unlikely, really. I mean, they need a 1-0 win or a two-goal. Basically, a goal for Napoli uh, just puts Liverpool in trouble and they're going to have to... Um, you know, kind of come come alive. You know, Tottenham in a similar situation. I, I, embers of hope for Tottenham. I was looking at Barcelona's uh, expected goals against, and this isn't pretty at all. So, but Inter <laughs> playing PSV, and PSV yeah. have given up twenty five shots a game on average. So it's, <laughs> I mean, it's not saying there's not hope. It's no, just, no. we just got to hope Messi does that Messi, a little bit. <laughs> Messi doesn't start on that one, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it just it just feels like uh, the Champions League is. It's not used to not used to anyone, but it, it is is very much a uh, very dominated by the the bigger well, the, clubs these days. The Tuesday night games are super exciting, and and it's nice to have kind of three group group stage matches that in different groups that that really matter, right? So you've got the Inter yeah. PSV slash Barcelona Tottenham one, you've got Liverpool Napoli that is basically for the marbles there, and then you've got um, Shakhtar Lyon. Um, which is also like a huge one, and uh, we we quite like Leon for a long time now. Um, just their their production of young talent seems pretty cool. Um, but so yeah. Yeah, tricky was tricky. You know they need they need to not lose there. To, they need to, to lo- not lose at Shakhtar, which mm. means that it's a it's a close tie. So if you're a gambler, now's a very exciting time. <laughs> I think uh, if you're a neutral watching tonight, I think what you want basically is Barcelona to run over Tottenham within ten minutes, so you can watch Liverpool Napoli. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, it's hard making these decisions. Like, you know, if, if Tottenham scored within five minutes of uh, the Barcelona match starting, it'd be like, oh, that's you know, that's 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 now interesting. Also, if you're an Arsenal fan, that that works for you pretty well too. Yeah, maybe. There's, there's plenty, <laughs> plenty of them that listen to the podcast as as we are now. Right, what else have we got to talk about then? So, yeah, Champions League, uh, you know, coming to a coming to an end. Um, a pause. Uh, not an end, a pause. The group stage is ending. Yeah, the, the group stage is ending. But that's what it gets spicy. Um so two things uh that 
kind of came around and I wanted to talk about one of these last week and forgot because we were busy. But the other one is, uh, so Atlanta United uh, won uh, the MLS Cup in MLS. Um, and uh, Lucy Rushton, who works for Atlanta and helped um, do their stuff, uh, you know, congratulations for her. Um, you know, she's one of the, the women who works on the men's side. It's actually fairly unusual, and they put together a great team, and they were the best team in, in that league really this year alongside New York Red Bull. They beat the Red Bull um, in the, the playoffs. But um, it, it came back around to me saying something publicly in the early days, saying that I was not very <laughs> impressed by their... Um, yeah, James laughed me. What did, what did you do, Ted? Yeah, I know. It's, it's <laughs> typical. Um, I wasn't terribly impressed by their, their big signings early on. Um, now, you know, obviously they've won and total credit to them. But uh, Lucy said, I would love to hear this on the podcast. So like since she's a champion, um, you know, we'll respect this request. And I'll explain kind of the rationales that I had in the, in the early stages um, as to why I was like, you know, I might have made different choices. Um, and it, it actually, it teaches you a lot about, uh, MLS, but also about some of their choices as well, their success. So their early stage kind of big names were um, Brad Guzon. Uh, I think he signed for like a TAM signing or something like that. Uh, but Guzon came from the Premier League to, to Atlanta. Like no way I would have signed Guzon. Like watch too much Guzon. Like no people who were at Villa during the time, just like that wouldn't have been my signing. Could have gotten, you know, a much cheaper um, goalkeeper for at, you know, basically equivalent production was my estimation at the time. Um, and then the other the other big one that I was like, this makes no sense at all, which is Kenwin Jones. Uh, so they they signed Kenwin Jones, I think on a free, uh, but nevertheless, like looking at the wages and stuff like that compared to MLS wages are quite low. Like, like why would you sign Kenwin Jones as this, at this point? But then there are three DPs. Um, so then Joseph Martinez, which I actually thought was pretty good. They got him out of Torino, um, and, and that was fine. Like, uh, you've got a guy who's, who's performing quite well in Italy, like, should be able to go to MLS and, and do well as well. Um, and then you've got the, the two, two kids. So Hector Villalba, who I, I looked at his stats and was like, eh, I'm not really seeing it here. Like, I don't, I don't think that, I think there were definitely better ones that they could have done. Um, you know, he's kind of, he got like one good season when he's quite young and then a bunch of average or, or below average seasons. And then Almiron, uh, who was sort of like basically a good young average uh, output um, attacking midfielder in uh, Argentina. So like these were their collection of guys. So like I like, um, you know, Martinez made sense to me. The other ones I had some question marks on the big names that, that were not pure DPs. I just absolutely would not have done. Um, and at the time, uh, you know, my estimation was that MLS was probably better than it actually turned out to be. I think what we've learned a lot from both uh, Atlanta's uh, signings and also from LAFC signings is that MLS is not as, as strong as like we were led to believe. The the guys that come in from outside that often look, you know, fairly average in in middle tier leagues actually end up being quite good in MLS. Uh, but, you know, also full credit to them, like the scouting that they did and the reads that they made saying that uh, in a slower paced Argentina, you know, the young players that were were around average in that league ended up being very good in, in Atlanta and in MLS ended up being true. So like full credit to them. And, you know, I didn't realize kind of the, the league quality at that time. But I think that we have seen that, you know, 
the, the question is now what happens when these guys come out? And that's also really interesting for this coming transfer window and also for what happened over at Bayern, who bought um, Alphonse Davies uh, from Vancouver, who looks like an amazing player and would have exploded. I mean, already kind of did explode in MLS this year. Um, also, Ellis down at, uh, at Houston, I think, is, is pretty intriguing as well. But yeah, so that, that was kind of the thing. Um, and, and Lucy's group you know, won a title and they've been a very good team. Uh, looks like they're going to lose their coach. But MLS, like the playoffs, especially this year, were really fun. A lot of high quality matchups. Yeah, Almiron's been linked with a variety of clubs in Europe, and probably, yeah, probably, probably will move. I imagine in the in this window, it's probably a good time to cash in. Um, yeah, Almiron and and Josef Martinez, who like Martinez has amazing numbers um, in MLS. Like he could come back to to Europe. He's still what like twenty four, twenty five. Uh, so he can come back to Europe and play now. And the question is just like, you know, if you come back from dominating uh, in MLS, you know, what happens at the next stop? And we don't know that much, but my guess is that they'll find it much harder. But we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to profess great knowledge of MLS, but... Uh, yeah, You're not American, James. I also <laughs> uh, clearly can't profess a great knowledge of MLS. Otherwise, I probably would have made better reads. <laughs> um so beyond that, um, the the one thing. So there's a story that I wanted to tell, and part of it is because um, because of FIFPro uh, this past week, or I mean they announced it previously, uh, gave a guy named Our Mobile uh, an award for his his work off the pitch, his charitable work off the pitch. Um, Our Mobile is actually one of the first signings that we ever made, and and so like it's kind of cool in that. Yeah, the 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 thing that everybody at Michelin said when he walked through the door was this kid is amazing, and so I wanted to tell like a couple of stories from behind the scenes back in those days to to just talk about him and and kind of like why he's also been tremendous in um, in the Danish league this year. So like it's it kind of goes all together. Uh, we got him when he was really young. I think he was about twenty when we signed him, and and we signed him out of Australia. <clears throat> And it was how the hell did you find a guy in Australia? James? Well, yeah, I mean, James, James, up until yesterday when I forced him to look up who Alan Mabia <laughs> was, still didn't know who he is. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in Australia, we were looking at a couple of different players. Um, in fact, I mean, there were three that definitely were notable, and part of it was because um, inside of like smart odds. Uh, they're a bunch of gamblers and they track like all the leagues and they care about Australia as well. And we looked at it and we're like, well, this is a really cheap league. So maybe we need to pay some attention to it because we could get players that we could afford at, at a big discount as long as they're good. But the hard part is, is are they good? And the from a modeling perspective, we had real issues with figuring out were they good or not. Because even with the gambling models, the Australian teams play so few matches in any context whatsoever against the rest of the world that you can't build um, statistically significant models without having like massive air bars. So we we had to do a lot of old fashioned stuff, but also we had we had the Australian data from from Otto, they were collecting it. And so we were able to look at these guys and say, you know, given some guesswork and some estimates, how good are they? And so the three players that we were looking at were Moy, uh, who obviously ended up at Huddersfield, uh, City basically brought him to their uh, Australian team and then moved him over to Europe and, and made a, a nice nice profit off of that. And then uh, Albert Mobile, who as a sort of a wide attacker, and Alex Gershback, who looked like a prodigy left back and is, is sort of bebopping around um, 
around Europe. He went to Rosenborg. Uh, we were very, very close to signing him. It was one of the more frustrating non-signings that we made because he also uh, could have come over and potentially been homegrown if we got him in at the right window. But also, you know, he was just so young and it was so cheap. Like, why wouldn't you take that gamble on a, on a left back? But it didn't work out. Um, so back to the mobile. Uh, we had a hard, obviously, James, the skepticism matches sort of traditional scout skepticism. <laughs> and <laughs> traditional scouts at Michelin are quite good. But uh, they're like, why would we sign this player? It's like, well, look, it's a cheap gamble for us. He's probably going to be anywhere between 250 and 400,000 euros as a wide attacker. It looks pretty good. We know that you're going to sell Sisto. So like that actually also matters. And uh, and we need to find out information. So if we if we're not paying that much for the gamble, you know, this looks like it could be a big payoff. And and they're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Which fine. But then um, basically they played City and, and we kept nudging this along and and uh, yeah, they were somewhat open to our ideas anyway. And so they played Manchester City and I think he skinned like Zabaleta a couple of times on the dribble. <laughs> and and so they're like, all right, maybe you're right. Um so, yeah, they, he ended up at, at Michelin. And Nikos's favorite story, uh, Nikos and I spent a lot of time at Michelin over the, over the two years that we were there. Uh, he's like, they were basically force-feeding our ribs, like, which, which isn't the type of diet that most footballers would be on. But he was so thin that they needed to get more and more calories into him to kind of build him up and bulk him up so that he could, he could handle you know, the, the roughness of the, the potential Danish league. And, uh, and so he moved over and, and everybody loved him. But for whatever reason, they didn't think he was good enough to, to kind of get in the squad. So he, I think he went on loan to a lower, um, like a second division Danish club, went on loan to Norway. And then finally came back and last year got some playing time. And then this year has been probably the best creative attacker in, in Denmark. Um, and, and also, you know, more importantly, and I think like, yeah, I'm the thing that you kind of see his, his off the field stuff is, is really laudable and he's been uh, a wonderful guy to be around and it's great. So I just want to tell that story because it's so cool to, to go back and say, this first guy or one of the first guys that we ever signed for Micheland that was just an absolute shot in the dark, but you know you could do it because you didn't cost that much. Um, this is kind of the story of him and his transfer and it, you know I, we had nothing to do with it really. like it's the, his strength of character and fighting through adversity and continuing to fight for those around him that has you know helped him succeed. But he looks like a great young player now, and we got him so young that he's still kind of coming into his prime. Uh, I hope for all the best for him to, to continue succeeding. He's a, he's a wonderful guy. I think there's an interesting point there about uh, like long-term gains. Uh, like July 2015, like he moved to Midgieland. Yeah. And, you know, where are we now? Three, nearly three and a half years later. And, like, you know, fin- finally is... Well, not finally, but, you know, you're, you're seeing the best of him. He's still only 23 years old. Um, I guess I guess a lot of the big clubs do this anyway. They stockpile these young talents and you know gamble that like some of them will come through and become serious talents. But it just it does. It's easy to forget how you know the difference between a twenty year old and a twenty three year old can be enormous. I mean, I I think uh, Monday night football last night we're talking about Dali Ali and his his uh, like how Gary Neville seemed to think he could like become a central midfielder like long term. Uh, in his career and you know you forget he's still only 22 as well and you know how players can evolve into positions and just develop and get get smarter 
Um, Absolutely. And if you have a good coach, it really helps you. But you know, you have to struggle through the adversity. We talked about it. And it's partly like one of the things that came into my mind from the driveline guys over in baseball, where like the development isn't linear. And, and that's one of the issues Like you don't necessarily know when guys are plateauing. Uh, you often need to train through it and continue to push yourself. And then you see the, the advancement later. Um, so for, for Mobile, you know, he needed to get stronger, but also, you know, somebody needed to believe in him enough to play him and, and test him against like the better competition as well. Uh, we believed in him enough in Australia to like take a small gamble on him. It's been impressive. The Delhi development is like, I looked at it in the radars, um, not too long ago and it's really kind of amazing. Like you don't generally see, it's a bit like Nabi to be fair. You don't generally see guys have his scoring profile when he was young. And then his defensive profile this year has been a really significant departure from his previous seasons. Um, that's that doesn't normally happen. And and Delhi's obviously quite smart and and interested in his own development. And also he works under a very good coach. Um, you know, Keita it was the opposite way around. Keita was the best defensive midfielder in his league in a season, and then he was the best attacking midfielder in his league in a season, mm. scoring and and creating a lot of goals as well. Like that type of profile is really unusual, and those types of players often are even more valuable than the, their stats might expect because of the versatility too. I'm not gonna, I don't think I'm going to bust any confidence, confidences by saying this, but there's a bit of work that we've been doing recently, and there's, there's some light evidence to suggest that um, with regards defensive um, defensive events, and you know, which pe- kind of pegs into positioning and stuff. Uh, older players are generally. Uh, more reliable into um, just the kind of frequency in which they um, commit uh, defensive events. I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to be a little bit oblique about that without giving things away too much. But it, that's you know possibly the opposite. You might think you might figure that, like young players would be enthusiastic and r- run around a lot and close close uh, close teams down and stuff. But there's definitely I th- I think there's probably a distinct learning curve um, that occurs over the course of a professional footballer's career into how to actually fit in within a, a team unit and that's logical too so um so, yeah. it's a, so here's a, a funny one from working with u9s and u10s um i was in the car with my son the other day and he plays for a select team uh in the local area uh, along with his his local team too so he, he's now plays like football four days a week and this is his perfect world um but He's he's definitely an attacker and he loves to attack. Uh, he's one of the more natural ball strikers <clears throat> that I've encountered. But uh, the <laughs> we're in the car the other day and he's like, "So, Dad, I don't really know how to defend." And I haven't coached him um, at his team level because we've been too busy with like owning a startup and having three childrens, uh, three children, not sins. Uh, and I find that quite surprising. I mean, obviously it's like an important admission, but he's like, "Yeah, I don't really know a lot about how to defend." And I was like, "That is." It's a very important thing to learn as a coach. Um, but then, like, you hear from coaches and they're like, well, you know, kids don't don't want to defend these days. Everybody wants to attack. And that's kind of true, too. But it's like these basic concepts that you have to, to get into them. In the youth ranks, usually the, the best kids excel so much that they sometimes don't have to learn these other bits of the game. And, and where do they learn it from, right? And how do you teach structural defending ideas? How do you teach goal side? How do you teach sort of distance to center backs to like, you know, kids that are nine and 10 years old? It's, it's just a lot of complexity in that and, and how you learn. Um, and I think that that continues on with like the young player stuff. How do I fit into this defensive system 
you know, at age 20, 21, when I've never really learned that. Uh, Ryan Woods came to us and didn't really have like that much of a concept on, you know, how do we, <laughs> when should I be tracking things? When should I be pressing things? When do I need to cover? Uh, and, and that kind of tactical insight is something that probably gets covered elsewhere in, in coaching circles a little more um, in the German game, possibly in the Spanish game. But it's it's always a challenge. And, and when do you impart that info? And some many times it's not that kids don't want to learn this. It's just that they haven't been forced to. I think, yeah, it, it comes out as well when you when you do see uh, notable players playing, especially defensive positions from a young age. Uh, you know, you'll forgive you'll forgive John Stones the odd you know <laughs> the odd howler because you realise he's he's learning a, a position that's probably probably harder to learn as, as a natural you know young player uh, to to get the best of being a centre back or you know I always, I always remember looking at central midfielders in the Premier League. There's, there's, you can probably count on one hand the amount of young central midfielders. Um, Operating weekly in the Premier League, and so you know, even just just by their mere existence, was quite a good good uh, indicator as to where, whether they would be, you know, uh, talents for the future or whatever. And yeah, I think yeah, it's interesting to like consider. You're right about age groups. You know, if if you're the best player in your, you know, if you're the best twelve year old in your district or area or region or whatever it is, you're likely to be an attacker in some way, aren't you? And I think a lot of players do get converted back. Um, maybe when they're not quite the best player in the the next level they get up to, and they they find find new positions. Sure, uh, the 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 the, <laughs> the the pathway of development for players is like the very best athletes tend to end up playing further forward. But then as you come up in the higher divisions and and guys' development changes and they get bigger and they get stronger, then you typically move back and the biggest kids stick around. But then the other ones sort of get sorted out. Um, balance is like a big thing to, to teach the smaller kids at a young age because like strength and balance means that you're going to be a little more durable even against these stronger guys and often like because you're a little lower to ground you've got that that center of gravity that works and sometimes you're just playing faster or quicker over a short distance um, so it gives them a little more survivability um, so yeah anyway like some funky stories uh, Premier League was decent fun minus the terrible uh, Sunday game, and then uh, and then we've got Champions League this week, and then right back into it in the in the brisk holiday season. Yeah, so much football, especially in in England anyway. And then half of Europe has a break. <laughs> in fact, most of Europe has a break soon, but uh, not not here in England. So uh, I think we'll be back next week. Then we'll probably go on. We might go on hiatus ourselves for podcasts. What with uh, what with the Christmas uh, period coming through. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, everybody.